Swanston Gazette acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land on which the RMIT studios stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. The Swanston Gazette also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches. This is particularly important to acknowledge today as we'll be, we will be talking about the voice referendum and unceded Indigenous land. Hello and welcome to the Swanston Rundown. You're listening to Ruby, Alicia and Isabella and we're here bringing you all things news. We're going to be your hosts for the next month and we'll be unpacking top news, culture and fashion stories. Then next month you'll be getting a whole fresh round of hosts with new and exciting stories. How are you guys going today? Good. So good. Super excited for today. Yeah. First episode. Woo. (laughs) So we're excited. So let's jump into some breaking stories. Uh, Inflation has fallen again for the second month in a row. Prices went from 7.4 in January to 6.8 in February, an overall 0.6 decrease. While the lower number is a positive sign for Australians, we will not be seeing an immediate corresponding effects in our spending counts, unfortunately. At least 38 migrants have died in the Mexican city of Ciudad after a fire broke out at an immigration detention centre. The blaze is believed to have started during a protest against deportation. Video footage has been released which appears to show detainees locked in the facility after the fire burned. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador has committed to the thorough investigation proposed by the UN Secretary-General. Russian and Belarus athletes will likely be allowed to participate in the 2024 Paris Olympics following new guidelines which will see them compete under a neutral flag. Athletes and coaches who have expressed support for the war will not be allowed to attend, nor will there be any official teams from those countries. So in sport, we have Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali stating that his decision to lock in Melbourne instead of Sydney as the F1 destination for the next 15 years was for the best. This weekend's Grand Prix is predicted to smash attendance records with about 440 to 450,000 people expected to descend on the Albert Park racetrack. In student life, university uh, food banks receive all-time high demand as students struggle to keep up with the cost of living crisis. Queensland University of Technology's Student Guild Food Bank fed around 900 students for the entirety of 2022. Eight weeks into this semester, they've already served over 1,000 people. RMIT has eight subjects ranked in the top 100 globally in the latest QS World University rankings by subject. Art and Design has retained its position as number one in the world, while Architecture, Media and Communication and Library and Information kept their positions within the global top 50. And we are all journalism students and it's I can report that journalism has retained its spot at 43rd in the world. In two culture and fashion, Tagwalk, a fashion-focused search engine, has noted a 50% increase in what experts are calling bold shoulders in this year's catwalk shows compared to last. Introduced back in 1941 by Elsa Schiaparelli, they became a statement of female-empowered brought after World War II. Apple has just released 31 new emojis for users to explore their texting creativity. There's a flute, a jellyfish, a shaking face, and even a donkey. What emoji do you think you'll be using most? I don't know. I feel like a jellyfish is quite fun. I've heard they've released a pink heart, so I'm a little bit excited about that. a pink heart? Have have we not already got a pink heart? It's a different shape. Oh, a different shape. (laughs) Okay, that makes it completely different. It's completely different. I get it. I get it. Now, onto the top news story. I'm sure we've all been very aware that the Voice to Parliament question was announced last week on Thursday. The Parliament will debate on this vote on whether the wording is exactly right and then it will be put to the Australian public. So, Australians will be required to go to the polls and vote yes or no. And the exact question is, 
to alter the constitution to recognise the First Nations people of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this alteration? End quote. And Anthony Appanese has made a very emotional speech saying that this is a, quote, modest request, urging Australians to vote yes. How did you girls feel about the emotional, the emotionalness that um, our Prime Minister was showing at this speech? I personally loved it. I'm a fan of Albanese. I think that it kind of, when you put emotion behind anything, it definitely has more of an impact. But in saying that, it's, it's tough because, you know, there are people that don't agree with it who are Indigenous Australians. So it kind of comes down to should he have been that emotional in a place that may have, you know, seen respect differently. So I'm not too sure. I'm personally love it but I think in the you know spectrum of things I don't know if it was the best thing to do I thought it was interesting that he actually said the question I thought they would have had an indigenous elder come out and say the question personally but yeah, yeah, yeah no, I did find right. that fascinating um, I guess the key monumental difference is going to be the enshrining of the indigenous voice to parliament in Australia's constitution which I think has only been altered like eight times since it was created in which the 1900s crazy. which is just like as in, like, it was established in the year 1900. So wow. only eight times. And I guess that's why it's such a significant to the Australian public in the sense that it's obviously important. And it all came from the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which was held back in 2017, which, again, we would have heard a fair bit about in the news. Um, and I guess there are different parties that have different opinions on this issue, which is... Again, it's hard when you think of it as it's not – I don't feel like it's a party issue. It shouldn't be like left vote this way, right vote this agree. way. Yeah. Doesn't it then take it away from the issue at hand? So why aren't they already in the constitution? Yeah, it's hard because efforts and proposals have been put forth by various primarily Labor governments over the past century to include Indigenous voices in Australian politics, like Bog Pork and the Baranga Statement, but – Ultimately, they've all failed. Even when the voice to parliament was put to, in the Uluru Statement, was put to Malcolm Turnbull, um, he just can, he rejected the voice to parliament in the sense that there was confusion over whether it would form a whole third arm of government and insufficient acknowledgement and lack of clarity from an Indigenous perspective. Like, Q&A was held last Monday and... I don't know if anyone saw that Q&A, but it was a bit of a ride. Um, and it was amazing because it was a fully Indigenous panel. And that's good because you've got Indigenous people speaking on Indigenous issues. And then it's interesting because you've got people like Jacinta Nampik-Inpa-Price. And she was quoted saying the element of recognition has been hijacked by this voice concept. And saying how, how can such a body elected by government signatories speak to issues of Indigenous people? What, what do you think about this, Alicia? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, and it comes back to the point of, like, Indigenous people have been asking for their own ability to reside over their own people and their own land. And it's interesting that we're having, like, non-Indigenous people have the loudest voices in these conversations. Like, Anthony Albanese, yeah, is kind of, like, the front-runner of the conversation, although maybe we should, like, recenter what we're looking at to Indigenous people. Yeah, and it's definitely complicated because obviously it's like, oh, the perfect is the enemy of the good. But then, I mean, it's important to include all different perspectives, I guess. But yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see South Australia, as we saw, is already implemented in their own state. So it'll be interesting, hopefully, by the end of this 
year we'll get the chance to go to the polls and vote. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because a lot of people who may be listening and who are in university, it's going to be our first referendum to vote on. Oh, so true. Yeah, so this is a really, really interesting um, referendum to vote on. And I think it's an important referendum. It is so important. I feel like there needs to be more of a push to people understanding what's actually going on. Um, I know multiple people who just, they don't even know really what a referendum is, which is fine. But Mm. at the end of the day, this is a massive policy change so something yeah. you know maybe needs... we should do a bit of a deep dive on referendums <laughs> um, i have to keep listening <laughs> I have to keep listening guys yeah but yeah what else is going on in student life Alicia? australian university students who fail more than 50 percent of their classes after one year of study will no longer be able to be eligible for hex help or fee help loans to pay for their education and this is a change that's part of the 2020 job ready graduate scheme which was passed by the previous liberal national government and affects students who commence their study in 2022 and onwards. So how does it work? A low completion rate is a fail rate of more than 50% of the units you've attempted if you had attempted eight or more units in a bachelor level or higher level program. So if you're identified as having a low completion rate, you will lose your Commonwealth-supported place and will instead have to pay your fees up front to stay in your course. Wait, so so I have to fail, like... Half of my yeah. class load yeah. to have that happen to me. So if I fail one class, I'm all good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm like okay, uh, cool. going through my grades. Has I'm a like, little bit of a heart okay. attack. I'm like, yeah. well, that's the thing. I actually, it's only for students who commence study in 2022 and onwards. Oh, so I'm pretty sure that in a little oh, fine print. Yeah. Did you guys commence study in 2022? In 2021. <gasps> so you would oh, be the only I'm, one. I'm the. Oh no, <laughs> I know. That's interesting that they've done it. Like, I guess you can't. It's would be harder to legislate retrospectively, wouldn't it? Yeah, to put that in place. If mm. I've if I'm on my um, third degree course, um, <laughs> and I technically started in 2020, am I okay? Or did you transfer? Like, oh, I think I kind of like just stopped. So okay, it restarts you know if you transfer me, into a new course. Uh, let me just go through those grades and make sure. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this kind of initiative. I understand what completely understand. Like, I, you get you get the intention, but also you've got to think about who ultimately that's going to affect. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be people who are coming from lower socioeconomic yep. households to start off with, and you yep. know, like there are always multiple reasons behind why someone's failing a class. Like it's, it's not just because just, they're not doing it. They're not paying, doing the work. They're not yeah. paying attention. So yeah, absolutely. I get it as an incentive. I, yeah, like but you know, at the end of the day, it's like if you are wanting more people to go to university and you're wanting them to get somewhat of an education, if you're going to be putting this on people then it's going to have a completely negative impact I think personally Mm. I just I'm not too sure about it but yeah so how did you hear about how did you hear about this I actually heard about this at the start of the year because my auntie works at Deakin and let me know which I thought was crazy because I'd never heard of this and I think that's like a common thing like not Mm. many students have heard about this and it's been in place since the start of Last Alicia year. has an insider. So Ooh. I've also heard that you only find out once you've failed the subjects. So if you don't know what? about this beforehand, wow. like you could be, you could lose your Commonwealth supporter place and have no other options going forward other than to pay. See, that's not cool. Like that should understand. be something that's spoken about. Like this is yeah. the first time I'm hearing of it. Yeah, I, absolutely. And it's interesting how it is in like the fine print and it's like, it shouldn't be. It should yeah. be very open, you know, like when you start school, it's like if you don't pass this, then you're going to have to repeat this year. It's a known thing. Yep. But for this, this is crazy. Like, you know what that gives though? If they're only telling you after you've completed the course, you can 
tell that it's not to incentivize students to study. 100%. If it was to mm-hmm. incentivize students to study, they would be like, so if you fail 50% of your course, like, you know, get into get into the books kind of thing, it's more about the money side of things. And yeah, absolutely. So, like, what, what's the point? Like, what's the yeah. purpose from that perspective? Yeah. It's definitely not like we're already <laughs> We're already living in a rent crisis. I've yeah. seen mm-hmm. so many stories of actual uni students either surviving a fond meal a day or they've had to stop doing uni because they have to work full time yeah. to support their life. So now you're not even, you know, letting us succeed. You're already having this. Definitely. So in speaking of different students, one thing that I cannot be affording to spend money on is clothes. You know, it's been really strapped for cash, strapping the bank. So got any fashion stories to make me feel a bit better about that? It's funny you say that because I have bad news. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into this top story. So at the moment, Caring Luxury Group, which is the second biggest luxury group after LVMH, Caring looks after Gucci, Balenciaga, YSL, Alexander McQueen, all the brands that us uni students can definitely afford. Um, <laughs> so last Friday, the luxury group actually announced that they're wanting to cut their greenhouse gas emissions by 40%. Um, by 2035, which, very ambitious, incredibly ambitious. So the way that they're approaching this is they're going to be releasing fewer pieces at a higher cost point. And, you know, they're already quite expensive. So it's just going to be getting more and more expensive. Now, I understand why they're doing this. I mean, you know, less production, you know, it's helping with environmental sustainability. You know, there's heaps of fashion pollution going on. But then you also have this thing where it's like, great, so only the rich, only the wealthy have this access. It's just, it's continuing this line of inaccessibility in fashion and it's creating more of an intimidation, I think, you know. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I also think it's going to be interesting to see what happens if these big brands like H&M, Cotton On, big fast fashion brands are going to start implementing this. If they're going to start doing, you know, smaller releases at a higher price point, but then you look at it because... How is it going to be affordable for students or for people who can't afford, you know, designer and things like that? So, I don't know. You have these two things. It's We definitely want to be limiting our, you know, emissions and continuing strides in environmental and sustainability. But it's it's a tough one to look at. What do you guys think? Well, it's interesting that it's focusing on, obviously, it's great that high fashion brands are putting out and committing to these targets. But when I think of, like, overproduction of fashion... I do think of more like low low brands. Definitely like, you know, rather than those bigger some, brands. Yeah, I kind of think it's interesting that you've got a lot of high-end brands focusing on product reduction kind of thing when when I think of and it's great, don't get me wrong, but when I think of overproduction of me of fashion, I do kind of de- tend to think of the more um, brands that are targeted for, you know, people who are on a budget because they produce heaps of things. Like I know personally I've purchased from brands like Sheen and Princess Polly and I have felt a little bit guilty about it because after doing a little bit of research, you know, maybe not the best idea. Yeah. So it's just but then it's kind of like a win lose situation. Hundred yeah. percent. And I also think like when you're making these like price ranges so out of reach for like normal people, you're mm-hmm. gonna be pushing people towards fast like fast fashion. Like how yeah. good for the environment this can this be? by making your, like, clothes less accessible. I couldn't agree more. I'm somebody who loves clothes and I've had to really learn to come up with more timeless timeless pieces and that's what we're striding towards. Build a capsule wardrobe, guys. Build a capsule wardrobe. <laughs> but in saying that, 
if you can't afford to buy a $2,000 coat and you have to buy a $50 one, it's probably not going to last you in two years, which is really upsetting. Mm, but that's yeah. just how it is at the moment. But going into these big fast fashion brands, we do have a collaboration happening, which is completely contradicting what I've just said, um, with H&M and a really influential Paris fashion house, Mugler. One month after announcing the team up, this collaboration between them, Casey Cadwalder, head of Mugler, is designing a collection which is going to inc- include Mugler's staples. You know, we've got the bodysuits, iconic black sheer silhouettes, but it has sparked controversy because you're taking these beautiful, you know, luxury made pieces and giving them to H&M, which is great because it's giving more access to people who can't afford Mugler, but you're making them cheaper out of worse materials, which is going to lead to more fashion pollution. And it's like when everyone has, like the whole idea of high-end fashion is that when everyone has a high-end fashion, it's not it's exactly high-end high anymore. You know? Which is really interesting because he did say in a statement that he his idea of Mugler has always been democratic. It's a way of making it clear that it's about bringing everyone in, and I'm also a big fan of stratification, so making something that is $10,000 and something that is $50 when you're trying to wake up Sleeping Beauty. It's important to shoot a gun in the air, and that's what I'm trying to do. So he's trying to say, I want Mugler to be for everybody, but it's hard because now you're going to put it into what I personally think H&M is not known for, their environmental stability or sustainability, and giving it to them, and it does quite frankly my personal point it looks it looks cheap mm. it looks like something that's not going to stay and it looks like something that's going to be thrown out but we'll see how it goes because Stella McCartney did a collaboration with Target which did amazing see, which surprises me so if, mm. you didn't, if you didn't have that to look at and be like that went really well mm. I would just assume off the bat that this is going to cheapen that fashion house I know brand. it's hard maybe not it might not and it gives you know people watch like ourselves <laughs> watch this space I'm really interested to see where it goes and my last little hot topic which we'll wrap up with is Beyonce our queen Whenever we talk about her, it's always a happy, happy moment. Happy occasion. She is co-designing, well, she just co-designed the recent couture collection for Balmain, which is massive. Balmain is one of the biggest French luxury houses. And it's so exciting because it's come about through her album. So each piece is related to one of her songs from her Renaissance album. The couture range is called Renaissance Couture. And it actually appears to be the first time a black woman has overseen the couture offering from a historic Parisian house. And those designs were created in partnership with the first black man to ever oversee all the collections. So this is strides. It's so upset that it's only happening in 2023. But I'm hoping this sets up a really um, this really sets up, you know, bringing more inclusivity, diversity into the fashion world, which is so needed. And I am so excited to continue to see more of it. But yeah, those are your fashion news topics for this week. Well, thank you very much. That was, you know, always interesting to learn about what's going on in fashion and student life. It's all important to us. Thanks so much, girls, for chatting with me about student life and fashion today. Um, what's coming up this week before we let you guys go? Well, tonight there's the Rusu end of census date party, if you guys are attending. But, you That's know, you might watch out for your hex. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. That's not how that works. Sorry. <laughs> no. That was a good little, I like to try to comedian joke. Didn't try, quite, try, didn't quite Well, it's the Melbourne Comedy Fest this weekend as well. That's just very started. true. And F1, there's so much going F1, on. F1, there's so much happening. So much yep. happening. And last night we had the F1 opening party and there was amazing fashion looks there. But, guys, it is approaching... April, and then we have May, which is the biggest fashion month. We have the Met Gala. We have so much happening, so stay tuned. How exciting. Yeah.
Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Make sure to check out our socials, just at the Swanston Gazette. We're on Instagram and also, you know, put it in the URL and check out the online newspaper. And, yeah, thanks so much, guys, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.